I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. What a stop! Just for Ben! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. Well, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, it's, it's, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Hello, welcome to the Friday Football Podcast. I'm delighted uh, to say this week I'm joined by two serious big hitters of broadcasting. Ordinarily, that means we're not joined by Nathan Murphy. So thankfully this week we don't have Nathan Murphy in with us. Uh, I'm joined by Dave McIntyre. How are you doing, Dave? Hello. All good. And Owen Sheen, how are you keeping? All right, Kevin. How's it going? You're very good, very good. Um, yeah, it's been a big week, hasn't it? It's been a, a big week, particularly at uh, Leicester City over the last seven days or so. Um, of course... Claudio Ranieri was he sacked last Friday night would be wouldn't it? So he's sacked last Friday, last Thursday night, yeah. last Thursday night. and then um, of course then we go in then to the Leicester game with Craig Shakespeare as uh, who is obviously the coach as now as, as temporary manager going into that Liverpool game on Monday. So there was a big um, big thing I, I feel that Monday it was a, I was looking for a big response and probably got it and maybe showed showed them up for for what they were. I felt Leicester so. Um, I don't we don't know, agree. I don't we, we we've had a lot of uh, we have we've WhatsApp had a lot of, discussion over the last few days. It's been a lot of banter on on text and WhatsApp, Dave. Yeah, it's getting very serious at one stage. On, I I'm on the reading from the Joe Malloy school of thought on the Claudio Ranieri situation. I think a lot of people who are not involved in the game, they're not ex pros, they're not ex managers, think, well, what choice do they have? They had to sack him. And the two people that have most um, aggressively come down on Ranieri's side that I've heard and off the ball are Brian Kerr and Kevin Caban, an ex-pro and an ex-manager. Hmm. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm intrigued by this WhatsApp group, first of all, I'm clearly... Not it's, not, no, it's, not, it's not a group. It's not a group. It's, it's not a group. It's not a group. Whenever you go back to Dave, with, when, when you know it's Dave, you send Dave a message and it's, it's, it's straight on the ball, bang, he's straight back at you, keeping on your toes. So he was, yeah, he kept me on my toes for, for half an hour or so. On, um, um, well, I'd, I'd just like to say, sorry in advance, Kevin, but I think Leicester were well within their rights to do what they did. Right. I just think the financial implications are just too great yeah. to continue and to allow this to, to continue on and have any room um, for any sentimental feeling towards Ranieri. Now, having that conversation is an entirely different conversation to talking about whether it's right or wrong that this is the attitude towards managers and the lack of any sentimental attitudes in football. I- I'm kind of sad that that's gone from the game, yeah. but at the same time, that's the way it is. And I think on the current, uh, I suppose, laws of... Uh, or the eth- etiquette of actually sacking a yeah. manager. This is the current landscape, and Leicester were well within those rights to sack their man. 100%. I, like, it would have been a risk too great to continue with Ranieri because they probably would have got relegated. Yeah, I think the, ethic, the ethics certainly aren't there. I, I, I'm with you there. Yeah, the argument isn't whether it was right or wrong. Yeah, and the, uh, the reason why I think it's wrong, because, and I, I, this is the one thing I was saying to you in, in text, really, Dave, what chance has a coach got now then? After that... That's the greatest achievement ever. So you're going into coaching now, whether you're an ex-player, whether you're someone who's progressed from junior football and you're progressing up the ranks and you get to the top. Now, the very top, of course, certainly in our terms, will be winning the Premier League. Of course, you get onto the next level, you're winning Champions League. But winning the Premier League would be the ultimate. And within eight months of that, within eight months of winning the Premier League, from with a club like Leicester, you get sacked from your job when you've got the club within a one goal uh, within one goal of, of qualifying for the quarterfinals of the Champions League it doesn't give any hope for the future of young coaches coming into the game if that's what's happening and it it gives no hope i don't think to to players when they're coming to the end of their careers as well when they're looking to get into that onto that coaching ladder as well it's almost as if you're trying to then breed a different form of of manager and a different form of coach it's almost as if you're just trying to get a coach in that's going to be quick fixes the whole time that's the way that it's always going to look then so whether or not you're looking at Claudio Ranieri coming that in, who's is, made that quick You've fix. just summed up modern-day management, have you not? But it shouldn't be that way, though, Oh, Of Dave. course it shouldn't. It should be the situation at Old Trafford in the 1980s when Ferguson really, for all intents and purposes, should have been sacked. Yeah, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, that's the way it should be. And with you, but the, the, it's the, not. They were far from that. And it but, never will be again Le- because Leicester the money City. is too great. Leicester City. Like clubs 20 years ago, 25 years ago, if Leicester won the league in 1986... They won the Premier League, yeah. or the first division as it was at the time, long before Owen was born. Um, and they got relegated the next season. 
the financial implications wouldn't have been anything no, close to what I they d- are. I, I get that, but the you can't afford to go down. But Dave, it's it, particularly this, the contracts. Those Leicester guys are City, on now. Leicester City, and, and it's something I've said. I know that the, 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 we we spoke about it tenfold. The, the the whole budget of the club has gone up tenfold, and I'm not denying that. But the whole this this just highlights a major issue, a, a huge issue that that I think is it, I think it's unnecessarily got to the stage it's got because Leicester City are not on a level of Liverpool. They're not on a Liverpool of on a level of Man United, of an Arsenal, of a Chelsea. They're not, and never ever will be financially over over the ten or the last ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years over the history of the club. They can never ever compete with Man United on a on a on a global scale. They can never compete with Liverpool. They can never do that. So they didn't need to get themselves into the position that, they, that they've got themselves into because if they do get relegated, they should be in a position with what they've achieved last season to be able to withstand that and continue. Now, I think if they'd have gone down, Claude Ranieri would have gone, but the destiny of that club should have, that's in the hands of Ranieri, he should, his own destiny should have been in his yeah, own hands this, and he should have made his own decision. He, he will make his own decision to walk away if they get relegated. Yeah. But work, what good is that to the club? Mm. They're relegated then. They've got, a, they've got no manager. He They're deserves, in the championship. That and chance, all they get is that people will pat them on the back and say, oh, well, look, weren't they great because they were loyal to Ranieri? People wouldn't say that. People would look at the board at Leicester and go, what were you doing? You knew he was taking you down. Why yeah. didn't you get rid of him when you had the chance? I think there is less like the boomerang effect that say Burnley has. There is very little evidence There's to suggest no that that would have been the same case with Leicester. But also going back to your point about coaches and development of young coaches, I agree with you. That's a big problem, but it's not Leicester's problem. It's not up to them to encourage the development of young coaches and make sure that uh, the Premier League is a great place to, to breed young managers and to allow young managers to flourish. Their job is to stay up. And so why that, then? Why that's then? Why I took this measure when you, when you're doing your coaching badges when you when you're presenting to a board? Are you then having to give for the term that I think is a lot of crap when you're having to give your philosophy. What's your philosophy? Why then do you have to give a philosophy to a club? Why do you have to talk about this philosophy? Because you're never ever going to get a chance to implement yeah. it. So why does everybody talk about the crap of this philosophy? Uh, ph- philosophy is bullshit right now yeah. in Premier League. Results is yeah. like tenfold more important than philosophy. I don't know. Like a Philosophy is only worth listening to from the perspective of a board of any Premier League club if there's some sort of empirical data to show that this philosophy will lead to better results. That's the only reason philosophy ever yeah. matters. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the day of uh, boardrooms getting swept away by fancy words and fancy PowerPoint presentations, that's about five, six years ago at this stage. I don't think it is, though. I Do you think not think so? No, I, th- I, think, I think it's still there. I, I think it's still there. I think well, I only, I, I, the reason why it is, because I, I was actually, I was covering the Huddersfield game this week and David Wagner's gone into Huddersfield and the chief exec who's, who's at the club, a name just, just um, gets away from me now, he said, I was blown away with David Wagner's philosophy and what he said to us. And You know his actual, he, how David Wagner got the job? He said he put 11 uh, raisins on the table and he lined them up in a 4-2-3-1 system and he, he went through every raisin and, di- and told him exactly what every raisin did in position. Now, that is what he was talking about with his philosophy. So it isn't outdated. That is what boards, well, that's what the boards are still waiting for Present to me what you are going to bring to this team on the pitch with your coaching style and your, in inverted commas, bloody philosophy. Yeah, but they're bringing that, they're looking at that philosophy, they're blown away by that philosophy on the understanding and the hope that it will produce results. And if it doesn't produce the results that the manager was promising, but, but that a, board, philo- a, philosophy, that a philosophy is a 10 year plan, no, a five year plan. Anymore, no, but that's what essentially a philosophy is, though. So, isn't like it? you're saying, what does this say to up and coming coaches? It says that you're if you want to choose to enter this. It profession, tells you you've got to be bloody lucky. That's you have what it tells to be, you. A, you have to be lucky. B, you have to have a really thick skin, and you, C, you have to be able to take rejection well. Like Carlo Ancelotti has it licked because he just goes from big club to big club, but he understands he's going to be sacked by pretty much all of them. Yeah. He wins a double at Chelsea and he gets sacked. Now he left PSG of his own volition, but there's a very good chance when he leaves Bayern they'll have sacked him. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Mourinho knows he's going to be sacked at Old Trafford someday. Every top manager knows the only managers that get away with it are the managers that began again, their eras in the 80s or the mid-90s. But you've just, you've, just hit, you've, you've, just actually, you've just actually come to me point that I was making before. You spoke about Bayern Munich and Ancelotti. You spoke about Man United managers. You spoke about top club managers. Leicester City are not a top but club. But all he had to do was finish fourth bottom. 
That's all he had to do. And he will finish. He would have finished fourth. Oh, but I'm you see, we don't that. know that they're in well, they're not, free form. We're, 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 all, we're all with they're that anyway. They're just in free well, form. I'll go back to the point is where I remember a few seasons ago when Chris Hewton was sacked from Norwich. He was in a very similar position just outside uh, the relegation zone. And I thought, yeah. And, and, and Martin O'Neill as well when he was at Sunderland. In a precarious position, the club decided to sack him. Sunderland got a, got a, got a bounce with Di Canio and... Norwich didn't get the bounce that they were looking for with it was before Adams went I can't remember his name actually he came up from the youth team um, they didn't get the bounce so th- these clubs that you're talking about here yes of course it's imperative you stay in the Premier League but Leicester are, are, are a 1-0 win away from being in the quarterfinals how can Claudio Ranieri not get the chance to see that through well they should have got a hiding in the first leg yeah I know I don't that. think it's fair to use that as but they are though, Dave. Essentially, they oh, are. I know, but oh, purely because Sevilla's yeah, finishing. Dave, was so we've poor. all seen games where, where sides have been absolutely horrendous. They've scraped a two-one, two-one defeat away, and it's quite, it's quite conceivable now. You could see oh, Leicester in that they first game. Win the game one nil. Yeah, and the although the thoughts of them keeping a clean sheet at home to Sevilla, I can't see that happening. No, I'm with you. I'm with but, you, Dave. Look, I, it comes down to the fact that you are. You played at the top level and you played 100 times for Ireland and you played as a, you're an ex-professional and Brian Kerr has managed his country and he's been a manager of teams up and down the, the levels for the last 30 years. Myself and Owen are just football fans. There's no getting away from the fact that we are always going so to look at the game. So it's gone full circle and so, so the football We're fans know more than... No, no, than it's not that we know more. <laughs> Our viewpoint will always be vastly different from yours. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on... This idea, I hate to bring back the word philosophy again, but the idea of the raisins that you just brought up and yeah. the actual statistics that a coach can bring up. Is there almost... Now, I'm a big fan of statistics. I think I like my empirical evidence. I don't like this idea of hunger or heart or anything like that. But is there too much being read into the idea of statistics and lining up the raisins in the correct way? Or is it what you say to those raisins, what you're doing off the pitch, your relationship with yeah. those raisins is that idea being totally disbanded now by the the introduction of science and rightfully so I, I guess to, to a certain extent the introduction of science yeah and I think certainly with Wagner as well he's he's his philosophy and I, and I do hate that word it's probably my worst the worst word that I could ever um, that I could ever use um, in football but anyway I've just used it there again um, yeah I, I think sports science now there, there, there's a lot of things that Every player, every player now within a club expects it to be there. Every, every player, they don't necessarily think to themselves, "I'm going to go out onto the pitch and everything's going to be right. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be done for me." They, all, they ultimately know now that when they go onto a pitch, they are fully prepared before they're even going into the system of a four-three-three, whatever, four-two-three-one, whatever, the, whatever system you're going to use. But I think I meant to say more like tactical organization rather than science. There, like that. That's not what I meant really. Like in terms of. As you say, Wagner organising the raisins, the tactics. Yeah, so you're, yeah, I know what you're saying. So you're, what, no, what you're saying essentially is, do you think that the players believe in the tactics more than the science? Well, yeah, because it's just come up again since the Liverpool game on Monday, hasn't it? With the idea that the players are now fighting harder for Craig Shakespeare or trying uh, harder for yeah. Craig Shakespeare than they ever did for Claudio Ranieri. And I think someone like Marina Hyde, she had a great piece on Wednesday. She said she wants to develop... Yeah one of these tri-meters based on uh, Scientology uh, e-meters based on whether <laughs> yeah. or not you're telling a lie. It was a great a piece, actually, already, yeah. yeah she's quite good. Like She's baffled by the fact that somebody hasn't already developed a metric for trying because of the importance placed upon it by the likes of Alan Shearer and other such pundits who seem to bring it up all the time. But it, it, it's but, an obvious one, though. Your attitude, will, your your tactics, your philosophy, your structure and setup is useless. So if you haven't got 11 players that are willing to carry it out. Yeah. It's true. And you see, like, just even following the game on Twitter on Monday night, you saw Daniel's story bring up that uh, stat about Ndidi, who had 11 tackles in the game, more than N'Golo Kante managed in any single game last season. So does that say he's trying a little bit more? Maybe, well, maybe not. But then also you've got to look at the tactical approach that Craig yeah. Shakespeare it was quite, brought. It was quite interesting watching the game of the night because visibly... In that first ten minutes of the game, they were running a lot more. Vardy was putting himself a lot, uh, 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 putting himself about a lot more, and he'd probably say no, he's not, he, and he'd probably deny it. But you could—they're human beings. You could. These visit, guys are yeah, not robots. You could. You could see instinctively the, they will raise their level a bit. Totally. Even if it's for the first ten minutes of a game, you'll see them start in a way that they have maybe haven't started other games. Yeah. And you've seen Vardy um, making a few tackles, all these sort of things. Before well. we anyway, move yeah. off this topic, well, can I yeah. ask you one more question? Yeah. Go on. If they were beaten, if they kept kept hold of Ranieri and they lost to Liverpool, although I don't think 
no matter who was in charge, they would have lost to Liverpool because Liverpool were just so naive and stupid heading into the game. We'll get on to that. Yeah, but well, if they were beaten by Liverpool, lost a hole this weekend and went out to, against Sevilla, would you sack him then? No, if you were the owner, I, I, I wouldn't do. So you just blindly hold on to him as they lost game after game, sunk to the foot of the table, and slipped without a murmur think, out of the Premier League. I honestly League. think you would have got a, a reaction out of those players. I think they're, they're good enough to react. The reaction I, I, came I, as a result of him being sacked. Um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, that that's that that is probably true. Yeah, and I think ultimately you know, you, the, the point is proven. For what you said, whether or not that that point is proven across the course of this season, I don't know. But if they lost every game between now and the end of the season, and you were the owner, would you have kept him? Um, it's a tricky one because I think he deserves he deserves that chance. He deserves he was that given chance. the chance. It's it's, it's, it's the, it was the end of February. Dave, I don't. Dave. They hadn't scored a goal in 2017. I know. I know. Like, they could have sacked him in December when they were struggling. I know, Dave, but, Dave, I just think from what he achieved and with that club, and look where Leicester were five years ago when they are in League One. See, it's emotion. You're basing it on emotion and your love of the game. Yeah. And that's what Kerr was like as well with Joe. He spoke about it with such passion, but the argument was effectively founded in his emotions and his human feeling for a fellow manager, a fellow professional. That's what it's based in. Well, it is. Like your that, argument that, isn't I know convincing that my, I know that... Yeah, I agree. I, I know what you're saying. And I'm not you're slagging saying. you for that because that's the way you feel about I the game. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And and ultimately, my answer would be, I think he deserves the, he deserved the chance to see it through as long as he wanted to see it through. And that's my ultimate... That would be my ultimate answer on that. So he'd would never be. walk away, though, before the end of the season. I, I, and I, if he I, did, it would be too late. Well, you may be right on that one as well, but I just think that that achievement—it's the, it's loyalty, it's the loyalty greatest. to him is your point. It's, it's the greatest achievement ever. That's why I think he, he deserved the chance. But what about to see loyalty to the football fans? I mean, are you not being disloyal as an owner to your football supporters? I don't, I don't think by allowing the club to slip out of the Premier League. I think I don't think Leicester supporters truly wanted him to to go. I really got, don't think that would have been the case. I don't. If you canvassed them, though, I would have thought that there, a lot of them would have said it's deeply saddening. And he'd always be a hero around this club, but I wonder what choice the board had left to them. Mm, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing what you're saying, and it's sadness when I say it. Part of me is actually agreeing with what you're saying, but I think, in in fairness, no, I just couldn't see. I can't see that there. If you owned the club, <laughs> I think this is see, coming to a stalemate. It's a position I wouldn't own yeah, a football and see, club. I knew I wouldn't own a and football club. And we talked club. myself and Kev. You know, I talked when we were texting each other that it, it's the beauty of of the. Opinions of sport. If I owned, if I owned, if I owned the football this. club, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't have sacked him. No, I know for a fact I wouldn't have sacked him. No, I see that is the truth. I would not have sacked him. Well, I'll take it. If I was in a position financially to have that football club, I wouldn't have sacked him. No, I probably would have sacked him earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you ruthless man. Just one final point on yeah. Leicester because it ties in nicely with Liverpool, who we're about to discuss actually as well. And it's my biggest pet peeve of this year's season, and it's back to that, that idea of trying that people seem to think that pressing and trying are the same thing. Just because a manager is instructing you to press, and which ultimately leads to more running, people, the spectator, tends to think, all right, these guys are trying much harder now because they've been instructed to press. They've been asked to, to run after the defender whenever they've got possession in, yeah. in, at their feet. And I think Liverpool are a great example of that. The more you see Lalana chase a left-back around the pitch, the more you see them running wildly in celebration and hugging Jurgen Klopp, the more pressing they do you're suddenly thinking, all oh, right, these guys try a lot harder. And I think we not, need to, do you so not you're accept not that, that you can press in a half-hearted manner? Oh, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can, yeah. yeah. Definitely can. But so there's pressing with purpose and there's pressing because your manager told you to do it, but you're not really getting close. Like pressing the way um, Mares would have been pressing fullbacks for the last six months. Hmm. He's doing it, but he's not really doing it. But I'm saying a distinction needs, needs to be made between teams who are told not to press and teams who are failing to press right. on their manager's yeah. orders. So you're saying that on the eye, a team that's being told to drop off by their manager looks like they're not trying as hard. Precisely. Whereas teams who are automatically, because you're like you're yeah. on, you're you're going to be watched by cameras everywhere. I don't think there is a Premier League team who, when told to press by their manager, don't do at least a cosmetically good job of doing that. At least in terms of running, in terms of trying to look like they're harrying the defender. Um, I, I just think that that distinction needs to be made, and that's the one thing that really annoys me this season. Yeah, I just need to get that off. But well, you know what? I think I think it, it teases up perfectly. It does tease up perfectly. D- Dave, Dave's done these topics today, so it's good on, good on you, Dave. Anyway, but D- Dave's one is in: Are Guardiola and Klopp stupid, or stubborn, or a combination of the two? Basically, with the context of both getting hammered against Leicester and setting themselves up exactly the same 
uh, sorry, exactly as Leicester would have liked them to in the season when they couldn't buy a win anywhere else. Now, basically, what we're saying here is it's the way that Liverpool set up was very, very similar to the way that City set up early on this season, where they played an extremely mm. high line, no real pace defensively, and. And the way if, the if vast Leicester, majority if, of clubs set themselves up against Leicester last season before they finally started to get what Leicester were about. Exactly. And if Leicester are going to choose any side or any system to play against, it's exactly what, Leicester, uh, what Liverpool yeah. did on Monday so night, isn't it? what the hell was Klopp doing? Now, it was telling in his interview with Sky Sports after the game. He said, it was like we hadn't spoken during the week about Leicester's strengths. Yeah. And the interview that Jose Mourinho gave after they were beaten 2-0 by Leicester at the King Power last season when Vardy and Maura scored, he said effectively the same. I talked to them during the week about blocking crosses from Mahrez and I talked to them during the <coughs> week about the movement of Vardy. And it yeah. was that attack on his own players that ultimately saw him sacked by the end of that yeah. week. So who's right here? Did Jurgen Klopp well, tell his players to press that high up the pitch to allow that amount of space in behind them? Or did he set them up in a different way and they just ignored him? Well, again, how Klopp plays, we all know, we've seen it, haven't we? Your defence has to be close to your midfield to, to, for all to go into that press at the, at, the, at the right timing for it to work. So they have to be defence in unison with your midfield, midfield then with your front three. That's how it's got to work. But, if there's no pressure on the ball, as there was for that first goal, you probably you would have all seen it. You'll all know it yourself. There's no pressure on the ball. As a back four, you have to drop. Because mm. when you're playing against that pace, and as Lucas has no pace whatsoever, Matip isn't, Matip isn't the quickest. If he's playing against Vardy, he knows as soon as that ball went to, I think it was Albrighton, wasn't it? As soon as it comes through across the pitch to Albrighton, with no pressure on Albrighton, Albrighton's got one thing. All he needs to do, it's not a difficult pass. No. You just... Play in behind. It's wide space the back between four. the centre half and the full back. So that's where they've got to realise that the Liverpool sometimes, what I, when I'm doing on watching Liverpool, and you even look at Nathaniel Klein's position at times, Liverpool don't have comfortable possession of the ball. He's going. He's gone before the ball's even near, before um, his teammate has possession of the ball. And that what, what that does essentially to you, it's always going to leave your two centre halves exposed. So the, the back four or back two as it was, which was uh, Lucas and Matic, have pushed up in unison with the midfield when they didn't have comfortable possession of the ball. So then that's it. That that is that that's a recipe for disaster. So why bother exactly training during the week? If no matter what but, happens, no matter who your opponents are this weekend, we're going to play the same way. Well, Why bother training? It was like, we don't care that this is Leicester. We haven't yeah. spent a moment looking at what Leicester are capable of doing. As Carragher said on Sky Monday night, you stop Vardy and you stop Mares. you've pretty much stopped them. They have yeah, nothing but, else. They've, if you drop off them, who's the creative I, 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 mind in the Leicester midfield that's going to pick out the pass that will unlock an opposing defence that's sitting at the edge of its own penalty? No, it's, will they be on. able to break hold down this weekend? Well, no, that, that's spot on with that, what you're saying now. I'll come back to the whole thing in a minute. But you work on a way. Liverpool's way is to, to go and press, as I'm saying, that yet go and press. But Klopp surely must say to his players, and the players must know themselves, how many games has Lucas played? Matic played... So many games as well. We know him in the Bundesliga. And he's got to know himself that if there's no pressure on it, I have to drop. So there's got to come a time in a player's mind, he's got to think to himself, look, we are not going to be able to go and get on that press. We're not going to go be able to win the ball. So I have to protect myself here. I've got to protect my goal. I cannot leave myself exposed with Vardy's pace like that. So there's got to come a time when no matter what the manager has said to you, no matter, no matter how the manager's uh, ethos is going to be about how they're going to go and play the game, there's got to come a time in a player on the pitch that he's got to have the mentality to stop that himself. Why do you think Klopp ends up sending out his teams like this? It just seems to me like the most basic tactical adjustment you make to your team, drop deep when you're playing Leicester. Yeah. Is it stubbornness? Is it like I, I'm sure it's not stupidity because... Well, then it like, can I, only I, be stubbornness. Or is it this crazy belief that these managers seem to have in their players? In, no, I think it's the crazy... Klopp has in his Liverpool team and the Guardiola has in his Man City team that doesn't matter who we're playing, I believe we're good enough like the way Guardiola believes that yeah. his players have the capacity in himself, to play though. out from their own end line. Yeah, it's not so much the players that he's got. I think it's in his own way. He believes that his way is better than who he's going to come up against. Regardless mm. of his personnel. Regardless of personnel. I think that's what City's so, problem but then, is. But then that's stupidity. Yeah, I do. That's right. not stubbornness. That's stupid. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean... It creates exciting football. It creates goals. So I think from a neutral's point of view, you look at it and say, yeah. But from a purist, if you're thinking as a purist, or if I'm a, as a player or yourselves are playing, you're watching, if you're a Liverpool, if you're Liverpool fans, um, you're looking at it and you're thinking, 
I, I don't want my team doing that. If I'm a player, I'm thinking, I, cu- I couldn't play like that because I, I know that I'm going to be leaving my goalkeeper exposed, I'm going to leave my, f- my full-backs exposed, I'm going to leave my team exposed. Why on earth would I be doing the things that doing the things differently from the things I would have been taught growing up through my career. And there's no way there's no way that they would have been coached to do that when they're 14 and 15. Do you think uh, Monday night uh, and looking at that game kind of makes us reflect on December, January? Because when I look at those games, I go back to the game that Sadio Mane returned to Liverpool when he came on against Chelsea off the bench. And he'd been flown home in a private jet with his own private physio uh, assigned by Liverpool to get yeah. back. There were people were celebrating. There was dances on the streets of Liverpool when Senegal got knocked out of uh, the African Cup of Nations. They had their saviour back. And like even on match of the day that night, they, they were zooming in on Mane at a couple of junctures in the first half highlights and saying, when oh when will he be introduced into the game? As if he was like the greatest talisman that Liverpool ever have, that they've ever had. And Mane comes on in the second half for Philippe Coutinho, who, in my opinion, had a better first half of the season than Mane did. Coutinho's injury was a bigger hit to Liverpool than Mane going to the African Cup of Nations. So, in hindsight now, after Monday night, do we look back at the absence of Mane and, indeed, I guess, the absence of Coutinho and this build-up of games that Klopp's constantly complaining about as being kind of nonsense arguments that sometimes they can just have complete brain farts particularly from uh, Jurgen Klopp <laughs> and the way he sets up his team I know there has to be varying factors because they went a full month without winning a game essentially in January but at, at times during that month in particular you surely just can't come back back to the fact that your best player is injured your second best player is away in Africa yeah that's ultimately what it is isn't it that's if 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 your if your better players are out, I mean, it's something that, that that baffles me why he doesn't play Sturridge anyway. Because I think Sturridge, if you if you've not got those two in particular, you've not got Mane like he had, he didn't have Coutinho for spells. Who's the next man you're going to have to put in? Where Sturridge, are the goals coming from? Yeah, exactly where are your goals going to come from. You're right, and that's where I think that some managers, it's the it's their ultimate belief in what they do. You know, they've gone into a club. You know, I mean by that, he he Klopp's got his ultimate belief. Guardiola's got his ultimate belief. It's me. It's what I do with my team. And nothing else matters. There's got to be an adjustment for what the opposition are going to do to you. There's mm. got to be an adjustment for the personnel. Some of the, some players might bring something different to the party. Particularly when the adjustment that's required is as narrow as the one that was needed against Leicester. Yeah, totally. Like if, if you're looking, if, if you're playing Barcelona, you might think to yourself, "Well, is there any point in trying to shut him down because they've got yeah. so that guy can hurt us, and I'm trying to deal with him? Well, they've got three other guys they can hurt us. They can also play two or three different ways. Then you might think, look, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to close down this Barca team. So maybe we just focus on ourselves. Yeah. But when it's a team as limited as Leicester, you just have to make one adjustment. Yeah. You just drop and you just put somebody in the midfield standing in front of the back four and that's it. They're done. They can't score against you unless it's from a corner kick or a free kick or something. It doesn't help as well that Lucas is somehow being chosen by Klopp here. I don't see how he starts ahead of Clav and I don't see why he got rid of Mamadou Sacco. Yeah, I know. I know that was a surprise. But he doesn't fancy Sacco, does he? It's obviously the attitude of Sacco. Is he getting enough of the blame, Jurgen Klopp? Is he no, Teflon I, because he's Jurgen Klopp? Yeah. I, he's having, they're I, having a really poor season. Yeah, what, and there's a very good chance they're going to finish outside the Champions League. That's, that's, that's my initial point. I'll just say it's two wins from 12. They've lost five and one lost of which seven was in, against all, Plymouth. in all competitions. But the one thing I think is quite along with as well, they've only scored 11 goals in the last 12 games. And we see how freely they were scoring at the start mm. of the season. It was not a problem for them. Chances created and all these sort of things. Now, the goals have just simply dried up with them. They, they, these are the big ones, I think, with Liverpool that... It is more alarming than anything else. And I know we spoke about their injuries and all these sort of things as well along the way, but ultimately you've still got Daniel Sturridge there and I think th- there's got to be a way that if, if all else is failing, get him into the team and get just get him right. Get his head right. Put your arm around him. Embrace him. Whatever it, whatever it takes because this guy can give you something special. He can give you something a bit different that you need in certain matches and I, I don't understand it. I really they've Arsenal this weekend... It's a game that's perfectly set up for Manchester United because they know once this game is done, yeah. if United win their game in hand, they could potentially be above the two of them. Yeah. And Arsenal are still reeling from those defeats against Chelsea and against Bayern Munich. Yeah. What What's your feeling on this game? Well, it's the evening kickoff on Saturday. This, this This could be a game that just puts either or season to bed, and I'm talking tr- really to bed where they they could fall out the top four. They could. You know, and I know that Chelsea, uh, sorry, Arsenal are ultimately still in the Champions League, but they won't become this time next week or whenever it's going to be. They, they, night, yeah, yeah they, they simply won't be. So this could be. I, I, I really think that this, this, for all that we, we you know, it's not 
the, the it, right at the very top end. It's not where we're talking. It's going to be. It's going to define who's going to win the Premier League or not. But I think it could define the season for the rest for, for these two mm. clubs. I really think it, it's got something riding on this match. It's almost the perfect game for Liverpool, though, is it? I mean, going to the Emirates is just perfect for their pressing game because Paul well, Wilson... They're at home, aren't they? This game's at Anfield. Yeah, oh, Anfield. sorry. Anfield, yeah. Do you remember the 4-3 at the start of the season? That was in the Emirates. Yeah. Well, I've, I've completely messed Seems up that point there. Seems a long time there. ago now, that one. Well, well, it's, like, would you expect Arsenal to have a lot of the possession in that game? Because it certainly seems to me um, that the less possession Liverpool have almost, then um, the better they'll probably do in games. Because Paul Wilson makes like the very simple point in The Guardian this week that your pressing game is redundant when you have the ball. Now, like I know it's at Anfields, as I've just discovered clearly, but uh, <laughs> the fact that it's Arsenal, the fact that it's not a Plymouth or uh, like yeah. a, a weaker team, that Arsenal are going to have a lot more of the ball, it'll give more chances yeah. to Liverpool to break. But Arsenal, Arsenal have been better this season, I think, when when they've not necessarily gone and dominated a game with the ball. I, that's the one thing, if, if I could maybe look at Arsenal and give them a little bit of credit this year, I think they've been a little bit better counter-attacking, counter, as a counter-attacking side. So often they've, they've had 70% possession and it's been quite boring, I, I felt, over the last few seasons watching Arsenal. This season, there, there has been a slight turn. And I know you probably, we're probably going to get the same sort of results. We're going to get the same outcome come the end of the season with Arsenal. But I think they have looked slightly better when they've, when they've let teams have the ball a little bit and they've been able to form the shape of the side back in and they've been able to break from that. So it's a, it's a, it's a good point with that. I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Because as you say, Liverpool aren't the best when they have continued possession yeah. of the ball. It's, it could they... become like a phony war of possession almost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if they lose this weekend, <clears throat> now they've a very good chance of winning the game. But they have to. They host Burnley, which you'd expect them to win, given Burnley's away record. But then they have to visit City, then it's the Merseyside derby, and then after a visit of Bournemouth, they have to go away to Stoke and then to West Brom. Like they've got some really difficult games yeah. coming up, and the form has to turn around at some stage. And the mentality after this is again we've spoke about the form that they're in. So this is this would be another little um, a little hammer blow for them. Yeah. So this could this could have a, a, a knock-on effect over the next few weeks for Liverpool. That that's what I feel with it. Yeah. I do. So there was a lot happening yesterday. Um, you yeah. didn't see the final ten minutes of the Real Madrid Las Palmas. I've come in here to it was three-one. I actually thought it was three-one. I thought <laughs> we don't, lost we don't talk continental football enough on this pod. But yeah. um, obviously, all the Premier League games this weekend will be spoken about on tonight off the ball and uh, tomorrow as well. And indeed, we're going to go through it all on Saturday on the show as well. But um, incredible events in La Liga last night. We'll start with it. Well, Luis tell me Enrique. what happened then. Tell me okay, what happened. Well, firstly, first Barca I wanna, I wanna... no, they need now need a new manager. Luis Enrique has confirmed in the last twenty four hours that after they hammered Sporting Gijón six one, that he needs a rest and he's going to leave at the end of the season. Treble in their first year, a double in their second season, potentially another double this season. After Real failed to beat Las Palmas last night, it was the first time since match week nine in La Liga. Yeah. Of course, well, that, of course they, let's just clarify, I was at the FA Cup, the, the classic of the night, Dave, last night. Yeah, City, City Huddersfield Down. Yeah, go on, but, it's the yeah. first time since week nine that, they have their, um, that they're back on top and they now have their destiny in their own hands because they lead by a point. Real have a game in hand, but Barca have to play Real. But Luis Enrique, it's three seasons and probably the, one of the most difficult jobs in the world in world football. No surprise, maybe. And I wonder, was this no. decision already made before the PSG game? You were getting that feeling after that PSG game. After the, after that first uh, leg defeat, and I mean, you were commentating the game yourself, Dave, weren't you? So it, watching that match and how that game transpired, I, I think we were looking, I was looking at it thinking that there could be an end to one or two of these superstars. And I'm talking the superstars as in um, Iniesta, Busquets, if, if certainly if they're going to play like that, they still have got a lot of quality, and maybe there, there was an argument then made that Iniesta wasn't fitting that PSG game. But there was a certain element within that side that there's a lot of changes need, needed to be made. There's and a that, tendency to write them off completely as a squad of players. There's still a lot of quality. Game. Yeah, there's still a lot of quality. So they can't. They're not that bad. No, they're not that. Of course, they still have world class players in the team. And I think you, there's always a, there's always a, there's always a tendency to overreact to a result yeah, like that. Yeah. But I think. You overreact because you simply don't expect Barcelona to be as badly beaten as they, as they were. And you know as well as I do, Dave, that could have been five or six mm. easily in that match. The way well, it happened two years ago and they were hockeyed by Bayern and they came back the following season and yeah. won the Champions League. There's one or two within that side, though. I'm looking at Umtiti. I'm looking at um, who else would there be in that side? Who was the fullback well, there that played that they, night? Well, they, uh, they had um, Jordi Alba on one wing and they had... Um, 
the other fullback who, who played. Oh, the right I've forgotten his name now. Yeah, yeah but he wasn't. He's not a. He, he's not he's a not regular defender. Yeah. He's not right. Re- and and there was one or two issues. And and I think the front three will always take care of themselves. But it did suggest to me that there's probably maybe another couple of midfielders need to come into Barca side. Maybe another centre half. So the, I think there is changes that need to be made there. Yeah. But even coming back to Luis Enrique, it must be, or it seems to be anyway, the most exhausting managerial job yeah. in the world, just because of the amount of politics involved. I mean, you go back to the Bobby Robson quotes when he was there and everything that he achieved. He said, if I was in England, I'd be a bloody hero if he achieved what he had achieved in Barcelona. Victor Valdez refers to a year in Barcelona being like two years anywhere else because yeah. of just the, the constant pressure that people are under. And also this thing that seems to be coming up today, this idea that Luis Enrique is trampling on tradition, which I think is a little bit harsh, to be honest. Yeah. Like I think talking about trampling on or affecting some sort of tradition that exists in a football club whether it be the way that the football team is playing or even more worryingly the way the manager interacts with the politics of the club I mean like that's the most nonsense talk of tradition that since I suppose delegates at GA Congress saying the All-Ireland should be played in September every year no arguments about that whatsoever and I just think there's too much of a focus here on the inner workings of the club the relationship that the manager should have with the hierarchy and disrespect of tradition like is is there a bit of nonsense speak to do with that I, I completely yeah. respect the way they play on the pitch the tradition I respect that but off the pitch yeah. and the hierarchy I'm, you, I'm not so sure about that Can you imagine what it's like the um I bet they're absolutely desperate to get onto the training ground. I bet they're desperate to train, desperate to, to, to do, go about the business day to day and desperate to play matches because for that 90 minutes, you're away from all the crap. Mm. For that, you're, maybe a couple of hours, you're on the training mm. ground every day, three or four hours, whatever it's going to be, you're, you're actually at the training ground. There's no crap. The rest of your life must be chaos, particularly for Enrique and, and the, even the coaching staff, the players, a lot of crap that would be, they'll be having to listen to. I, for all that, yeah, I think Barcelona would be one of the ultimate clubs, but there'd be a hell of a lot of, as you say, a lot of maybe politics that goes around it. Yeah. Who do they maybe... go after, so? Well, well, it strikes me on that point that Valverde could be the man they go for just because of the way he's respected the Basque tradition with yeah. Athletic Club Bilbao. Like, does Sampaoli bring that as well? Would Perhaps Veng- so. Would Wenger consider it? Veng- well, there was talk of Wenger today. Wenger was asked, asked that question, wasn't he? And, and I read Pochettino as well when I came in. Pochettino would be another one. And, but Wenger's kind of ruled himself out a little bit. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he said he he basically said today more or less it's it's Arsenal, it's Arsenal for, for me. I've always said that I respect this club and all that sort of things. So what's he talking less. about? Like, there's he's he's likely not to be there next season, but he has said in the last two weeks I will lightly, not be I, retired. I still think that's fifty fifty, mm. Dave. I he thought. said no matter where I am next season, I'll be a manager. I'll be a manager. Yeah, yeah. but he did say today that Arsenal is where he wants to stay, essentially. Well, that's bad news do you from think, an Arsenal point of view. Do you yeah. think Barca for, for Wenger, would you think that yourself, Dave? I think it's perfect, the way he looks at the game, the types of players that he likes to work with. And he has a couple of warriors in that squad, the likes of uh, Piquet, the likes of Busquets, um, and three of the best attackers in the world. Yeah, but can you imagine Wenger? He ultimately, he's failed over the last, how many years? Is it, um, oh, and well, since it's they've 13 won. since they won. 13 since they've won the Premier League. I know they've won a couple of FA Cups over the last couple of years, but last few years but is that good enough to go into Barcelona with, well, with that sort of record you, well you the mentioned... Barca don't sign managers with incredible CVs like by no, rights Luis Enrique should never have got the yeah, job yeah, Pep Guardiola should never have got the job and Martimo should never have got the job um, the... That, that's why I think Valverde could be him in a very good shout because not because his reputation is lesser than Sampaioli than Wenger than Koeman than everybody who's linked with the job but because of the culture he's been working with at Bilbao it's not too dissimilar to the Catalan tradition that, say, Guardiola and Luis Enrique would have been very familiar mm. with. But that point you make about Wenger, actually, I hadn't thought about the inheriting of gritty players that he'd get at Barcelona. It's not too dissimilar to when he came in at That's Arsenal exactly and inheriting the, point, yeah. the, the George Graham team. Mm. Exactly. He inherited the back four and, and David Seaman and effectively built his yeah. early years of success on and that. And as soon as they retired, they haven't won it since. And I, I tell you what I did notice, so I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll move on quickly from that. Just we'll stay, we'll stay with Spanish football. Just on that on that Real Madrid game you spoke about earlier on, Gareth Bale getting sent off. First time, I, I, and I saw it on Twitter. I hadn't seen it. Um, Crazy stuff. Unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, it's certainly un- unlike Bale for, mm. f- f- to to have that sort it's of reaction. Just a anyway. real um, childish, unnecessary yeah. kick out at a player. Then he he kicks him 
and tries to bring him down. He's, your man rides the first kick and stays on his feet. Then he goes in and has another kick at him. And the referee just said, I'm sorry, you're gone. Yeah. This but what, is just what, crazy you know, behaviour. What about the push? The push was like, it was, it was almost like uh, t- a little, two little lads in the playground. Well, they get off me. You go yeah. away. Like, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. I thought when in, in the way he delivered the push, certainly his um, facial expression, he thought he was being a hard man. Yeah, the way he pushed the guy, and that was made it even more embarrassing, like, didn't it? What are you it? doing? <laughs> you just pushed a fella. It's not like you've gone a nut at him and broken his nose. Uh, it was just madness. But the, it would, that was it, the madness in the last five minutes was incredible. Like it was described by the commentator last night as an NBA game. It was just end to end. None of the game was taking place in the middle third. Rail were just pouring forward. They were leaving two at the back. Every time a Real Madrid attack broke down, Las Palmas broke down the other end, created a chance. A couple of massive saves from Keller Navas in the Real goal. Las Palmas were three one up with five minutes left and Ronaldo scores a penalty of a handball and then this typical Ronaldo leap thumping header from a set piece and it's 3-3 and there's still a minute left for Real to attack and try and win the game just unbelievable to watch <laughs> it was incredible and it was such a treat so lucky that I sat down for the last 15 minutes and saw this incredible end to the game but it's such an amazing title race out yeah, over there at the moment is, Sevilla yeah. are, no one is talking up their title chances at all they're only five behind Barca four behind Real they have a game in hand on Barca and they have to play Barca and Real yeah. and they also have to play Atleti Barca have to play Real and Sevilla and Real have to play Barca, Sevilla and Atletico as well so there are massive games coming up in the last eight weeks of the La Liga season it's as competitive a league in terms of the potential champions, as there is out there at the moment. The Premier League is done. Scotland is done. It looks like the Netherlands is done. Uh, Serie A oh, is oh, pretty uh, much done. I'm not so sure in the Premier League just yet. Uh, Ten clear. Come I'm not. On. I'm It'll not. be a serious collapse at this stage. Oh, well, if, if City win the game in hand, what does that go eight, does it? I think that goes eight. City win that game in hand. But you'd, got... you'd admit that it'll take a cataclysmic choke City from Chelsea. Have got, City, have got a great, City have got a chance to, to, to beat them at Stamford Bridge as well. I you wouldn't know. be backing City to beat Chelsea in a game of football. If I was going to back anyone aside from Chelsea, I would probably back City to win the game. Okay, but you accept that it's highly unlikely Chelsea will not win the Premier League. I'll accept that. I'm just I'm just uh, causing a bit of an argument with you there, David. Yeah. Is but it time to start... Sorry, is it just on Spanish football again, is it time to start cooling off on all the love for Zinedine Zidane? I mean, early in the season, people were like, right, finally you've got one of the greatest players of all time becoming potentially one of the greatest managers of all time. Yeah. But it seems to me... Now, I only dip in and out of Real Madrid matches, but when, it come, when push comes to shove in some of these matches... Zidane doesn't really make tactical shifts. He's more bring on a sub, change the pace of the game straight away with a sub instead of moving around the incredibly talented parts he's got in his team. Mm. And it also seems to me as well they're too reliant on their fullbacks. The way you essentially said to Morata or Ronaldo, stay in the box and Carvajal or whoever's playing on the yeah. other wing um, will, will, will lump all, yeah, will, will limp, will yeah. lump balls in uh, from either side. And that's it. It's plan A uh, with a couple of subs and that's mm. it. I think that's been traditional at Real, hasn't it, over the last... Even when Zidane played in the, the, the Galacticos team, it was always about the players. It was almost if you, you, you've you got the reliance on a Ronaldo, on a Bale, on mm. a Modric, whoever it's going to be, these are the players that's going to turn the game for you. So it's not necessarily about the tactical side of it. and It's about keeping the players happy day-to-day in training. The, the training's got to keep be bright and bubbly. And he seems to have done that. They have won yeah. a Champions League under him, and they are... Um, yeah. will be top of the La Liga if they win their game in hand. I, I, take your po- I do take the point, though, because you, I think you still could question tactical. I think you still could question that, but it, I, I just don't think it'll ever be about that with Zidane. I think it's, yeah. if he started to work on tactical on, on a tactical game plan on a Monday, from a Monday to Friday, like a Simeone might do at, at uh, Atletico, I think the players would switch off. And I think then you, he, he knows Zidane that he probably would have lost them. It's about maybe just setting setting the team up to work towards the strength of, of a of a But they a don't Ronaldo. want a tactical manager, do no, they? The last no. two managers they had that were of that mind were Mourinho and Benitez, and they got rid of the two of them yeah. because they hated the fact that there was structure and philosophy and a, a straitjacket to some extent being put upon the players. They yeah. just want to be able to go out and play like they want to play. Yeah, and, and again, I think, that, I think that was the case when Zidane was playing himself there. So I think he, he Who was the manager when he was there? Del Bosque? Del Bosque was... Val... He definitely won the Champions League with them in 2002, yeah. didn't he? What was the other one? Val was it? Oh, what was his name? The other fellow as well. I, oh yeah, there, there, was, there was obviously he would have had a f- several managers because we know what the like. I think two thousand and two thousand two, Del Bosco was the manager. Yeah, but he was just told what players he was signing, um, given them. 
just keep and them happy. Just keep them happy, exactly. Yeah, you've got Ronaldo, exactly. you've got Zidane, you've got Figo, you've got Beckham. Just make sure that they're all reasonably happy. Yeah. Like you can give as well if you want. Exactly. Just and that's why he did so well with the Spanish team as well. Your team is there. Yeah. You've got the greatest squad of players in the history of international football. Just make sure that they're happy and that they're that they get to play the way that I, they I, want I to think, play. I think that'll be the case anyway. I do think that'll be the case. But it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see how this title race goes as well. Do you want to do you want to finish with the the Premier League goals? We have a little. Look yeah, there's a, there's a there was a big discussion on Thursday nights off the ball, and it uh, essentially surrounded the fact that uh, today was the 15th anniversary of this. There's Pires picking out. So for our listeners who don't have their memories tweaked by that clip, Kevin, what was the commentary there? What were we listening to? We were listening to Dennis Bergkamp's, which was tweeted out from the off-the-ball feed on, on Thursday morning to say the best goal in Premier League history was scored 15 years ago today. Nathan Murphy. Nathan Murphy. And I Was there a lo- question mark at the end? A, I think there was a no. question mark at the end. I, don't, <laughs> I never saw a question mark. No, was there a full stop? He, he said there was a question mark. I didn't necessarily see the that. The punctuation I just, here is crucial. I, uh. I jumped straight in on it anyway and I was like, ah, come on. There's got to be, and, and I, my favourite goal, my favourite goal in the prem, in Premier League history is is Kasami's goal for uh, for Fulham against Crystal Palace, and uh, Nathan has dismissed that this morning or this afternoon when, when I've got in as well. But that's my favourite goal for for a number of reasons. That not not least that he makes an unbelievable run from the halfway line to the edge of the penalty area. The pass is perfection to him to take it on the control on his pass going away from goal diagonally on his chest on his chest and the ball drops over his shoulder onto on his, his chest on his weaker foot as well he hits it with his right foot back across goal it is an absolutely sensational goal that's my, that is my personal favourite I think that's the best goal that's ever been scored in the Premier League era that is yeah see there's so many there should be a number of different categories yeah for me. I still am not 100% convinced that the first touch of Dennis Bergkamp with that goal was absolutely intentional and went exactly where in his mind's eye he thought it would go. But I'm willing to be argued over on that. Oh, okay? what do you think of that? What do you th- well, just, let's, just, let's just get to that. What do you think about that, that, that part there then? Well, it's an interesting point because uh, I was reading a piece by Tom Adams on your sports website yesterday talking about that exact point. Did Bergkamp mean it? And... Uh, he goes back to this piece that was written on the Atlantic website last year, a very controversial piece that said, are humans responsible for their own actions? Or is there some sort of uh, like electromagnetic force? Not supernatural, but some sort of electromagnetism that exists within their brains that preempts the things that they do. And there's an argument that Adams made that perhaps if you believe this argument, that, that existed in Burkamp, that just his, his now his unbelievable skill that there was just that freak split second when Burkamp himself was like, "What have I just done?" He wasn't, he but wasn't I did in it. control of his body for uh, that split second. I, can't, I, I think he meant that touch. I think as it's coming, only simply because as the ball's coming across him, he tried to take it back across the defender, and then he knows when the ball gets beyond him, he's got to step across him and use his strength. Of course, he I meant think it. he meant it because the way he turns straight away. Yeah, that, that's your key. He yeah. turns straight away if he, if, he acts, if it hops off his foot. Okay, can I make one point on it? The direction the ball went. It should have been the outside of his right foot that sent the ball in that direction because he had his back to goal, back into the defender. Yeah. It should have been with the outside of his boot that sent the ball around Burkamp and around the defender. And knowing that that was the touch he was going to take, Burkamp then spun around the other side of the defender and the ball was there for him to finish. But he actually touched the ball with his instep. Physically, I don't understand how he got the ball to go in the direction that it went. That's why that's the seeds of my doubt. It's a good point. I think the instep is used to slow the ball down because if you use the outside, or to bring it across your body, well, not away from you. That'd be the cynic's view. Yeah, but the way he's come, it was only because of his body reaction immediately when taking the. Owen just touched it. As soon as he's controlled it back across, like. Beyond beyond he knows what he's done and where he needs to be. So that is why he, he adjusts too quickly for him for him for that touch to be a mistake. That's what I think. But my thought on it would be that. Uh, okay, so I'll accept that it's 100% intentional, but the finish itself is pretty mundane as regards Burkamp. Yeah, like, sure. Oh, it's, it's, it's not a Kasami. It's no. not a Kasami. So, Kasami's, it's Kasami's, if you were to have a competition is, for the greatest touch good, in the Premier League. But it, I just want to say this this point on Kasami's though, Dave. It's, Kasami's goal is as good, if not better, than um, Marco Van Basten in Euros 88. Van Basten just lashed his. Kasami controlled a 50-yard pass over his shoulder on his chest and then hit it with his weaker foot. Yeah. But Burkamp's touch, I think, would be the greatest touch. In the history of yeah. the Premier League. It's probably the deftest yeah. ball of all time. 
Where, um, I mean, he scored another at Filbert Street as well. We can't get away from that. Which I think is better. Yeah. The goal at Filbert Street. The goal at Filbert Street against yeah. Leicester was a almost carbon copy of his goal in the World Cup quarterfinal. That's a better finish for sure. Yeah, that's the one at Argentina, wasn't it? That was that was a cracker, wasn't it? And Absolute then you've got better. like all these other volleys: De Canio, Tony Aboa, yeah. uh, Thierry Henry. Yeah. Uh, the overhead kicks from uh, Rooney, from Andy Carroll, from Trevor yeah. Sinclair. No, that wasn't in the Premier League. It was in a cup competition. I'd, for me, it wouldn't even be in the top ten. Premier League goals of all time. Really? Well, I could. I'm pretty sure I could find nine better than that. Yeah, Ten I know, because I, I just think it was it was a different sort of goal. Olivier Giroud as well. This one this season. Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. Oh, I'm not so sure. Kincladzi. Kincladzi. Yeah, excellent. And, and we've really Dalian Atkinson. Dalian Atkinson's. Yeah, I remember. They're all, all better all, than Burkham. Henri's against uh, Tottenham. Rooney's in the, volley against Newcastle. Yeah, so we, we we can go on and on and on. Philly Belbert's chip against United. Oh yeah, that was a cracker one. Like, I think they're all better than. Yeah. And your bowls probably me. because the finish is so mundane. And your bowls as well. Your bowls other one against Wimbledon, regardless of that Leeds ones. We, Beckham, we, two, yeah, Beckham, yeah, yeah. Your bowls Wimbledon one. Maynard Figueroa for for Wigan as well. I can't forget that one. So Screamer. anyway, that's if you want to listen to the football show part from last night as well. What, what's your personal favourite then, Dave? Just to, if you're going to pick one. Oh, I don't know. Because we, were, you see, you need to be, to be reminded of some of these goals. The Decanio volley is probably the greatest volley I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. And. What maybe caps it for me is the finish from Dalian Atkinson. Because not only has he yeah. like carried the ball 50, 60 metres, beaten at least five defenders, he'd, if he had finished the way Burkamp then finished after his amazing touch and just slotted it, opened his body, used the instep, ran the keeper into the corner, yeah. it would let, uh, lessen the quality of that goal. But he actually chips the keeper as well. Yeah, he dinks it off. It's a brilliant goal, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. What do you, what, what's yours, Owen? Well, his, his can only be in the last 10 years. Well, yeah. not necessarily, I guess, like being a wide-eyed child supporting <laughs> the, the greatest Arsenal team they've ever uh, produced. Henri and one against United. That, like, as, <laughs> yeah. as a kid, I was like, holy crap. <laughs> that was amazing. So like, yeah. I, th- I can almost still feel that feeling lingering. But like Burkamp as well. It, it's just like, it, there, was, there was just something weird going on. Whatever he meant with that touch, I think the fact that you can discuss that goal 15 years on and say, did he really mean it? I think that's a sign. Did he really mean the touch? Not even the goal. Did he mean the touch? I think that's a sign of a fantastic footballing moment. Yeah, He definitely meant and I tell you what the, well. for the ball to end up where it ended up. He definitely meant that. Yeah. Sure. Because he turned immediately because he, that was his idea. I My only doubt is to whether the touch actually came off as he envisaged and intended it. Yeah, and I, I personally, I personally think he meant it all. And and when I first saw it, I was probably in your in your camp, Dave. I was like, did he mean that? No chance. He's not meant to do that. And then I've watched it and watched it back so many times over the years. And even watching it back today, when you're just making sure it's ref- when you're refreshing yourself, yeah, I, I think he meant it. I don't think he could have tried. He, he could have tried to do anything else there. So, yeah, I'm with um, I'm with I'm with Bergkamp. I think he meant it. But I still think the Kasami's goal was the best anyway. So anyway, they're we'll, playing you out, Kev. All right, we'll wrap this up then tonight. Well done. Cheers, Owen. Cheers, Dave. Good man. Nice one, lads. As much as you like. What a stop! Chance for Ben. Jordan I mean, that sort of stuff. It's been. We're better. We're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance flat. No. What do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet, crying. I mean, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make a beeline towards the boulder, have a drink.